You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Those stones of remembrance were set up there on the side of the banks of the Jordan. They would have been a, a, served as a memorial to generations of Israelites, uh, parents going on vacation to Gilgal would have taken their kids by and shown them that monument there. And at least up until the time when the book of Joshua was written, the memorial that was in the river could also be seen, most likely, uh, either protruding from the surface or just below the surface after the rainy season had passed and the river had lowered. They might have been able to see those stones, but uh, the, the Israelites now have crossed over and they've built their memorial. And, and, and as Drew put it so eloquently last week, they came to that place of rest, that place of remembrance, that place of uh, rededication and renewal. And in their lives, they're, they're, they're in a significant moment. And that's what Gilgal represents. This place, it, it's a very spiritual place for Israel. It always will be. Uh, the, 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 the place Gilgal, it holds holy ground, sacred ground for the children of Israel. And so many things happen there that are significant. And, and, and the way that the book of Joshua is written, it's so, it's so crucial, this, this area, this place. And uh, not only is it there on the other side of the Jordan, it's the first place that they've camped in the promised land, but it's also right next to the enemy. And uh, it's, it's in a strategic location there uh, in, the high, in the high ground. And there's also, uh, it was known that there was a, a, a large palm tree forest there uh, with, with open areas. And there were fields of grain that were growing in these places. And as they came over the Jordan and they could see these palm trees, they could see the grain that the land was producing. It was actually the time of the barley uh, harvest and they come over and they see all of this, but then right next to it, they see the city of Jericho built up with strong uh, walls and parapets, and it was intimidating to them. And so they were prepared now to go to battle. And, and we pick it up, we pick up the story here in verse 1 of chapter 5, where we read, So it was. When all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over. Notice that word we there. Just a little testament that Joshua himself was writing the book as, as, as he's telling the narrative that we had crossed over, that their heart melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So I love this here. Let's pause here for a moment. The Lord has prepared the way before them. The Lord has gone before the children of Israel. And as, he, as they come into the land, we notice that uh, much like at the Red Sea crossing, where God did an amazing, wondrous work, and prepared the way for his children to go across. And, and, and it was a work of such wonder and amazement that the people everywhere heard about it. That the people in the land, they, they heard how amazing, how powerful 
the God of Israel was. And it was, it was something that glorified him. Well, so too, this crossing of the Jordan River, it was, again, it was, it was an amazing work of the Lord that only he could do. It was a wonderful thing. Now, that is, again, this crossing over, we've talked about it several times in chapter 3. It relates to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we can see the comparison very easily that the cross, much like the crossing of the Jordan River, it was an amazing, wondrous event that is meant to inspire awe in those who understand it, in those who grasp onto it. And you and I have been tasked with that, that, that responsibility of carrying that message, of being the messengers, the ones that are talking about the wondrous event of the cross, what God has done. And, and, and as we share that, you know, Paul the Apostle says that as we share that good news of what God has done in, people's, in our lives, in, in, in the cross, we, we see that it is a message of life to those that are understanding it, to those whose hearts have been opened by the Spirit of God. And yet to those that are closed off, that have rejected it, that are turning their backs on God and rebelled against God, we see that it is, it is the fragrance of death to them. That it is something that brings, uh, it, it speaks of doom, it speaks of judgment because of the rejection of the wonderful work of God. We pick it up there in verse 2, Joshua chapter 5, verse 2. It says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Get the army together and hit them while they're weak. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. That's what I was thinking it was going to say. I'm sorry. It, it, instead, it says, make flint knives. Okay, that's a good weapon. They could use that. Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Hmm. That's interesting. That's not what I thought was going to happen. Verse 3, let's see what happens. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And they even named the place correctly, don't they? The hill of the foreskins. Verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pause here for a moment. What a sad epitaph, so to speak. What a sad reminder of these warriors who should have been leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And yet because of their lack of belief, because of their, rather, not just a lack of belief, there was a complete unbelief. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 3 and chapter 4 that these men, they completely disbelieved that God could bring them into the land. They, they absolutely did not believe at all. And so because of that, the Lord swore, hey, they will not enter into my rest. 
They will not enter into the land that I've promised to give to them. You know, there are many Christians that fall right into these verses and identify right alongside of, these, of this generation of unbelief. Because they never fully get to a point where they're trusting in God, where they're trusting in Jesus for their life and for their salvation. And like these men, they are going to miss out. They're missing out on all that God has for them. And, and it's a sad moment. It's a sad epitaph on the uh, gravestone of history to look back and to see this generation of warriors that should have been at the front leading their people in, and yet they didn't make it. Instead, they wandered for 40 years in the desert, seeking rest, seeking what God what they thought they should have received, and yet they never did because of their lack of belief. Don't, we need to learn from their example. We need to realize, listen, hey, when God promises something, when God tells us something, it's as good as gold. We can take that promise to the bank. We need to realize that when God tells us, listen, for all who believe in Jesus Christ and in his name, hey, if you're trusting the name of Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. If you confess Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible tells us very clearly, you shall be saved. It's God's word. Done deal. God cannot lie. He's not going to lie to us. He doesn't extend a gift and then rescind just because he wants to or because he's cruel. But no, in the arms of Jesus Christ, we see the arms of God open wide to all humanity. And he, he says, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden. And, and, and he gives us these precious promises upon which we can build our lives. And we can live the Word of God. We can live trusting in it. It's a sure thing. Don't be like these men who when they, they heard the report of the spies, their hearts were, were, were clouded in unbelief. And they decided, you know what, we'd rather go back to Egypt than walk in what God has for us. And you know what, sadly, there are still people today that would rather walk in the world of Egypt, in the land of Egypt, so to speak, the world the system of the world, the things of the world, the temporal pleasures of the world instead of for what God wants to lead them into. And it's a very, very sad thing. Let's, not, let's learn from their example. The Lord has a land flowing with milk and honey. What does that mean that it was a land flowing with milk and honey? Well, just, just picture Gilgal again with me. You had that forest of palms Date palms is what they were. And that's, what, that's what's famous there in Israel. That's what grows all over the high places in, in, in Israel. And they would extract honey from those dates and make a date honey. And then when it says flowing with milk, well, that's talking about the agriculture capabilities of the land. That it was a place that was rich with grain and grasses and the cattle and the goats and the sheep would flourish there. And so it was a place where they would have all that they needed. That's where God wants to lead the Christian man, the Christian woman. He wants to lead you into a place of spiritual blessing. 
a, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. The milk of the word, the honey, the sweetness of the precepts of God's word. The Lord desires to lead that, that Christian man and that Christian woman into that place. He has that for us, waiting for us. You know, that's one of the blessings of reading the Bible every day, isn't it? I think that oftentimes we, we start out reading our Bibles in our Christian life like a chore, you know. Well, Pastor Phil's always harping on it, you know. I guess I'll try it, you know. And or we kind of have this grumpy, complaining kind of an attitude, you know. Well, you know. I, I went in for counseling and they told me to read my Bible, you know. And so, so maybe I'll try it, you know, type of a thing. And we start out as a chore, but you know what? It can become a land flowing with milk and honey. Reading the Word can be such a joy. It can be so fulfilling. It can be such a refreshing time. You know, keep at it. I just want to encourage you. If you're in that place where, you know, reading is just a drag right now, reading the Bible in the morning, it's a drag. It's tough. You don't like it. Hey, that's okay. Be honest about it. But also remember that you didn't like your vitamins when you were a kid either. You didn't like your spinach either, did you, at first? Or your lima beans or whatever it was. I used to hate lima beans. But my mom made me eat them. And you know what? Now I scarf them down. Because I know they're full of good stuff for me. The same time, sometimes it's the same way with the, with the Word of God. You know, we start off and it's like taking vitamins and it's a little bit difficult. But you know what? As you do that, as you be, be, form that habit and it becomes a part of what you do on a daily basis hey, you're going to realize, man, whoa, this is, this is actually the land flowing with milk and honey. This is, God, this is where God wants to lead me every day. He's got a word for me every day. He wants to guide me. He wants to encourage me. He wants to edify me. He wants to comfort me. He has something for me every day when I get into the Scriptures. That's why, you know, we, we encourage people to read through the one-year Bible. Now, the one-year Bible may not be for everybody. And I always tell people, too, you know, the one-year Bible, you know, Jessica mentioned it. There, that's why I'm thinking about it. But the one-year Bible plan, you know, some people look at it and they go, man, that, that's, that's too much. Well, you can always break off just the New Testament and read through the New Testament. You know, if you timed yourself reading that New Testament portion of the one-year Bible every day, it would take you, I, I guarantee you, less than 10 minutes to read that every day. And sometimes even less than that. Sometimes less than five minutes. But you know what? There's so much good stuff in there. And as you meditate on it, you might take 20 minutes. Oh, heaven forbid, you know. Shame on you, taking 20 minutes in the Word. But you might get something out of it. You might be blessed. And then to write that down, take an extra five minutes and just write that down. Wow, Lord showed me this today. That's simple. And then you know what? That's written in your heart. And you take that with you throughout the day. And, and you find that land flowing with milk and honey that the Lord has for you. Verse 7 says, Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Verse 8, So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. And the reason Gilgal and rolled away there is related 
is because the Hebrew word for rolled away, it sounds a little bit like Gilgal. It's, it's, it's the gold sound. And so Gilgal, and, the, and, the, and so that's where they, they, they just associated, the rolled away the reproach with the name Gilgal there. But man, what, a, what an interesting turn of events, right? I mean, just think about this. If you were in their shoes, put yourself in a minute for a minute in your, in, in your mind, just you know, imagine that you're in the shoes of the Israelites. You've just witnessed an, a miraculous crossing. You, you know that the people of the land, because the spies came back with a report, Rahab told them, hey, the, the people's hearts have melted in terror because of what we've heard about your God and how he parted the Red Sea for you. Just imagine how they feel now when he parts the Jordan River and they walk across on dry ground and you're thinking, you're feeling pretty good. You're going, all right, we're going to take this city and we're going to roll on and we're going to take this land. And then Joshua's like, hold up, hold up, everybody, let's make a couple of flint knives. And you're thinking, flint knives? We got, we got iron, man. We got spears. We got, and, and no, no, make the flint knives, and then we're going to cut off each other's foreskins. What? We're going to what? This is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense. We're on a roll, Joshua. Man, imagine the pressure on Joshua as a leader at this moment. He's making a tough call here. But you know what? Because in the past, they, they, they saw the Lord part the Jordan. They saw the, the Lord part the Red Sea for Moses and they trusted Moses. They saw the Lord part the, Red, or the Jordan River and so they trusted in Joshua. Thank goodness that God had that sign to back him up. Because I don't think he would have lasted past this point if it wasn't for that sign backing him up. You know what I mean? So they realize, okay, this is God's man. He's leading us. He's telling us to make flint knives, and then we're going to cut the foreskins off. Okay. little change for us, a little change of plans. And so then, you know, then they end up, they have to camp out now for three days, because that's probably about how long it would have taken to get over the, you know, at least the initial you know, stages of that surgery, that surgical procedure and the fever and stuff, and then be able to move on. So for three days, the Lord has already prepared the way, though he's terrified their enemies. They're not even thinking about coming on the offensive because, man, they know that God is with these people. They're covered by a God so powerful that he can hold back the entire Jordan River for hours while millions of people cross. We're not coming after them. We're going to hope they pass us by. So the Lord had prepared the way. But I have four reasons here why I believe that God called for the circumcision at Gilgal. And the first reason is because God wanted to renew the covenant with His people. You see, God is a God who is a God of covenants. He's a God of promises. You know, way back in Genesis chapter 15, God came to Abraham and he said to him, hey, I'm going to bless you and all your descendants. Follow me. And it says that Abraham simply believed God, didn't it? He he simply believed that God was, his, his word was true. He believed God and because of that, God accounted it to him for righteousness. 
Two chapters later, in chapter 17, we see that Abraham, God comes again to Abraham and he speaks to him and he says, I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be more than the stars. And as a sign of your belief in me, your trust in me, and my promise to you, I want you to circumcise yourself and all of your sons. And at that point in time, Abraham just had one son. The wrong son. It was not the son of the promise. He didn't even have a son uh, that was his, his heir of his wife at that point in time. But he says, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And so he's circumcised and he circumcises Ishmael. And, and it becomes a sign, an outward sign in his body of what God has promised him in his heart. And what God has done in his heart and in his life. Now, that was to become the sign, the outward sign to the Hebrew nation, and it still is to this day. Still, still is practiced amongst the Hebrews uh, to this day, the, Israel, the, the Israelis to this day, those that uh, are observing the covenant, they circumcise their male children. And it's, it, it's interesting, but this, that's the reason, that's the number one reason here that God is saying, listen, you belong to me. You're part of my forever family, and I want you to show that outwardly, that sign, that outward sign that you are separated from the world, that you're different. Now, when we think about things today, what is the application for the church today? Well, we celebrate things like the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those two ordinances are outward signs that we believe in our hearts, that we are part of the fam- God's forever family. And so in essence, when you participate in baptism, whether you're witnessing that baptism or whether you're the one being baptized, hey, that is an outward sign of an inward work of God that he has done in your heart. And you're saying, hey, I am a partaker of the covenant. And when you, on Sunday mornings, you know, when we have communion here and you take the bread and the cup and you participate in that supper, you're saying, look, outwardly, this is a sign of what God has done inwardly. And I am a part of the covenant relationship. And so those two things are how we remind ourselves and remember and renew the covenant regularly. You know, just because you're not at the baptism, or just because you're, Uh, not being baptized at a baptism doesn't mean that it doesn't have any significance for you. You know, when we have these baptisms here at Calvary Chapel Paris, and just because you're not the one getting dunked that Sunday, that doesn't mean that you're not there participating in that and, and, and realizing that, wow, this has significance for me too. Because every time we see baptism, the ordinance of baptism, it's a reminder that, hey, we too belong to the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ, just like they did there. Secondly, though, the, the, the circumcision was done to build up their faith. It was done to build up their faith. You see, God wanted them to be in a place of weakness and brokenness where they had to rely on Him. Why? Because they're getting set to go out and to conquer this, this whole region, this whole land, and he doesn't want them doing it in the power of their own strength and their own might. You know, you know sometimes in, in our lives, the Lord brings us into desperate situations, into desperate straits, so to speak. 
and the only place we can look is up. And we come to the end of ourselves and we realize, wow, I, I have tried and tried and I do not have what it takes. And then in those moments, we end up looking to God. We end up seeking God. We end up crying out and saying, God, I need you. And, and that's where God has taken his people here. He's taken them to that place where for three days, man, they're laid up. They're laid out. They're helpless. Heaven forbid that an army should walk up on them. It would be like killing babies. They're helpless in their weakness there. And yet, that doesn't happen. God doesn't allow that to happen. He protects them. He watches over them. He makes sure that they know that He's in control. He makes sure that they know that, hey, hey, he is not going to be, uh, he's not going to renege on his promises. He's going to come through for them. He's going he's to uh, be the one that rescues them. And so that right there is, is to build up their faith. And then thirdly, it's to unify the people of Israel. This rite of circumcision would have unified, it would have bonded these men together in a way like I don't think we uh, really understand. Unless maybe you've been in a foxhole with somebody or part of the military and you know you understand that brotherhood or maybe a, 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 a tight uh, sports team or maybe a, a, a situation that was very intense and stressful and you went through that with a group of people and on the other side of that, man, you realize, wow, we have a bond. We share something deep here. You know, it would have unified the people there. They, they would have realized, okay, I got a flint knife and I'm going to do this to you. So I'm going to be very careful. Because after that, I'm going to give the flint knife to you. And you're going to do the same thing to me. So, are we good here? Because I got to know. I'm trusting you here with something special. So be careful. Right? And, and, and it would have brought you in. It would have been, you know, you're looking in their eyes and they're looking at you. There would have been a bonding there. There would have been a unifying there that takes place. You know what? That same kind of unity needs to be in the body of Christ today. Now, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm as far away from the physical rite of circumcision as you can possibly imagine in your brain when I say that. What am I talking about? I'm talking about in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we deal with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, flip over to Matthew with me. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talks about how we're supposed to deal with each other. In the church. You know, how we're supposed to Treat one another in the family of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, read with me. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How could you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck 
from your brother's eye. You see, when a, a person is judging critically and they're, they're cutting other people up, so to speak, hey, that is going to come back on them. And when others pass judgment over them, hey, they're going to use that same measure. And so when we realize that, hey, others are going to judge me the same way that I'm judging them, the same way I'm treating them, the same way I'm acting towards them, hey, it, it helps us to realize maybe I need to be, I need to be gentle. I, I need to cut out the plank out of my own eye before I go to my brother and talk to them. And it creates a tenderness, it creates a, a compassion in the body of Christ. And, and really, I, I think that that was one of the things that God was doing is, look, look, hey, we're going to be unified after this. We're going to know each other in a whole new way. And we're going to treat each other kindly. We're going to treat each other compassionately because we're part of the same people. So it was unifying. And then fourthly, I want to look at what circumcision means for us as Christians today. Now, obviously, circumcision in the physical sense, that's today, that's mostly just a choice that's left up to parents. Personal preference for parents. And, you know, some, some people say that there's, you know, there's uh, uh, hygienic benefits or, or, you know, but others, you know, there's, it's up for debate. So it's a, it's a preferential thing if we're going to talk about the physical circumcision. But the Bible talks about a lot, actually, about spiritual circumcision and the life of a believer. Flip over to uh, Ephesians with me, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, Ephesians is the counterpart book to Joshua. And in Ephesians, we're going to see that this, this rite of circumcision actually has meaning in the life of the believer today in the spiritual sense. Just as so much of the book of Joshua reflects and mirrors the Christian life in the spiritual sense, so too this, this rite of circumcision does as well. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 11. We read this, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but... Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So what used to separate us, and it was recognized through this outward sign of, of, of circumcision, in the Hebrew, Paul says, look, Christ has taken that out of the way because now the circumcision is not one of physical hands made in the flesh by hands but rather it's made through the, the the cross of Jesus Christ so he says there in verse 15 that having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace 
to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So listen, circumcision is not the deal anymore. It's not the thing. And as Gentiles, for you and I who are non-Jews, hey, for us, we've been brought near through the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, what, what we could never do in our flesh, which was to earn the favor of God by completing the law, by fulfilling the law, and what the Jew could never do either because they were not justified by the law. But rather, Christ did through the cross, giving us eternal life. He, he gives us His righteousness through faith. That's what happened on the cross, and it abolishes that wall of separation. And so we're now, hey, there's no separation. It's, it's, it's about faith, guys. It's about faith. And then flip over to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, we read some more about circumcision. Again, in verse 11, it says, In Him you were also circumcised. He's talking about in Christ. You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in their trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. I love that. I love that. So the circumcision now is not one with physical hands, but it's rather one that is through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to go over to Romans now. Back to Romans, I should say. Romans is backwards. Go Romans chapter 2. So we were in Ephesians 2, then Colossians 2. Now we're going to Romans 2. In Romans chapter 2, verse 25, we read this. The Apostle Paul writing, he says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Catch that. Verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So listen, guys, it's the Holy Spirit that effects the spiritual circumcision of our hearts. He causes us to die to sin. He cuts off the passion of the flesh in us and, and causes us to live to God. And, and it's all made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ by our faith, our trust, that Jesus died for me on the cross. He died for my sins. And when he died, I identify myself with him in his death and in his resurrection. And now I live to God. It's the new life. The old life, the self-life is dead. 
Okay? Now, it doesn't mean that it's uh, uh, completely, you know, that, that, that it's done away with. Okay? When he says dead, he's talking about paralyzed. It's been, it's been cut off, so to speak. The power of it over me. Jesus died, and I died with him. And so that old life, it doesn't have, it, it doesn't command me anymore. And so, but now, what I do is I live for God. And so let's flip to Romans. We're in Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter uh, 8. Romans chapter 8. And let's see what we're to do now that we have identified with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. We are now in verse 13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So get that. You know, we, we don't live in the flesh. If we live in the flesh, if we allow the flesh to control us, hey, man, we're going to, it's bad news. It's bad news. But we haven't, we, we're living in the Spirit now. Check out verse, uh, verse 11 with me. Romans 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. The Lord, the Lord has risen us up with Christ. And through the Holy Spirit's power, His effective work in our lives, hey, He has circumcised us, circumcised our hearts cutting off the flesh, the self-life, so that we might live unto God. And so that's the significance there of circumcision in the life of the Christian today. Now let's go back to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to finish out the chapter tonight. We see there in verse 10, we pick it up. And, and so we've, we've seen them, they've gone through circumcision, three days have passed they're, they're recovering now enough to kind of be moving around and they're getting hungry. And so in verse 10, we see now what happens. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. So let's pause there for one minute. First of all, I want you to see this. First of all, after circumcision, which was renewing the covenant, building up their faith, unifying them, then they celebrate the Passover feast. And the Passover has only been celebrated two other times in the history of Israel at this point. You see, they, they celebrated it when they left Egypt, the night that they left Egypt, and then they celebrated it one year later, but then they, then they went to Kadesh Barnea and they failed, and the warriors, army, the, 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 the Israelites and, and their army, man, they, they disbelieved the Lord. And so the Lord had them wander for 40 years, and they didn't partake of the Passover meal during that whole wandering time. It was suspended. But God says, no, now I want you to remember that, and I want us to celebrate that again. Because I'm identifying that you are my people, and this is the land where you are to celebrate these feasts. And so it was an identification thing. It was, it was, it was, God was letting the people know that, hey, I'm faithful. I've brought you to the land I told you I was going to bring you to, and you are celebrating these feasts just like I said you were going to. 
You know, the Lord is so faithful. And remembering the past is what helps us shape the future. And that's exactly what we see here. God causes them to hold this Passover celebration because he's going to shape them for the future. Look at verse 12. It says, Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. The manna, this bread from heaven, it's been with them for 40, plus, or for 40 years now. And all of a sudden, they eat the produce of the land that they come into, and it's gone. It's gone just like that, and that's a huge thing. So that signifies now that God is now going to provide for his people, but in a different way, in a different way. Verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, finishing that out, says that the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of Canaan, of the land of Canaan that year. So listen, as God brings them into the land, he's, there's a balance. He wants them to remember the past, but that remembering of the past is so what? So that it shapes their future. It shapes their future. Now, you know what? In, in Christianity, a lot of times you hear, you know, hey, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation. So what's, pa- what's in the past? Hey, it's in the past. You need to forget about it. You need to move on. You know, we, and, and, and we, you know, we like to talk about Paul's verses there in Philippians. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I, I press forward. And, you know, there's a time for that, for sure. There is definitely a time for that. But listen, guys, we also need to realize that God wants us to remember the past because it can shape the future. It shapes the future. And time and time again, he tells his people to get in the word and to remember, to remind themselves of how awesome their God is and and the amazing things that God did for them in the past you know (laughs) I think if we would spend more time meditating on the cross meditating on what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross I think we might be more and more victorious over sin in our lives I think that sin would take on a whole new distaste for us as we meditated more and more on the cross. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is meant to be remembered in our lives. It's meant to be a daily thing that you and I, we remember daily. I love what Drew said last week. He said, we need to rededicate our life every day. Hey, there's no shame in that. Rededication, renewal, coming back to the cross and saying, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. You know, because without the cross, Jesus, I know where I'd be. I know that I would be caught up in sin. I know that my heart would be hard and my conscience would be seared and that I would be rebelling against you, God, and I would be on my way to eternal torment in hell. But because of the cross, because of your mercy, Jesus, because you cared, you loved, you stepped down out of your place in heaven, and you went to the cross, you took my place, a sinner, and you died willingly for me, Jesus. You took all my sin, all my shame, all my guilt. You did that. And as we meditate on that and we think about that, you know what? Our hearts are filled with love. Hearts are filled with love for the Lord and hatred for sin and the things of the world. And we realize, wow, all this is just really temporal. temporal. It's, it's, it's temporary. <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. 
It's not worth it to spend my life struggling for temporary pleasures when there's something so much better waiting for me. And it all became available because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So remembering the past helps shape the future. And then we're going to close it out tonight by looking at verses 13 through 15. It says, And it came to pass that when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversary? So, so Joshua sees a guy and he's like, Who is this guy? You know? And, and he comes at him and he's like, are, he's challenging him. And in verse 14 says, so he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And it says that Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So this is interesting. This is interesting. Think about this for a minute with me. Joshua is wandering around by himself in the hills near Jericho. And and I would imagine that he's probably a little bit discouraged you know, I mean, he's, he's leading. And, and here he is, he's, he's got a camp full of weak warriors. Useless men laying around, healing up. And he's wondering, what are we going to do? And he's looking there and sees the city of Jericho with all of its parapets and walls and, 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 and armaments. And he's going, man, how are we going to do this? And he sees somebody out there and he challenges them. And he challenges this person and man, he, he realizes he's in the presence of deity. And as he comes, he approaches, you know, and, and he, he gives that challenge. I love the answer. Jesus, this is, and, and I say Jesus here because uh, I believe this is a Christophany. It's, it's an appearance in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ appearing there in the pages of Scripture. And I love the answer that, that Jesus gives. He just says, no. Are you, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And Jesus is like, nope. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's not the important, that's not the right question. It's not the right question. He just says no. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Something about the way that he said that. And I imagine with a sword in his hand, geared up for battle, and Joshua realizes it's either bow or get my head chopped off. <laughs> and, and I don't want to make that sound you know, like it was a threat, but Joshua just immediately realized, I'm in the presence of deity. And there's only one thing you can do when you're in the presence of deity, and that's get on your face. And that's worship. It's worship Jesus. Because he is not a tame lion. As C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, he constantly describes Aslan as that fierce lion and you never know what he's going to do. And that's our God. One thing we know, he, he shows up according to the need of the moment, doesn't he? Joshua needed a commander. 
Joshua might have thought he was in control. Joshua might have (laughs) thought that he was the general. What he really needed was the commander of the army of the Lord. And that's, that's who came to him. You know, I love that about our God. He knows exactly what we need when we need it. And he shows up. And he is for us what we need most. So we need to follow Joshua's example tonight and realize that we're, when, when we come into the presence of the Lord, when, when, when we are worshiping, we're worshiping deity. And, and we, need to, we need to have these moments in our lives. When's the last time you had an experience like Joshua where you realize that you are in the presence of God and you're nothing and it's time to get on your face and to, to exalt him because you're on holy ground. So if you haven't ever had that experience, I encourage you to seek that. I encourage you to seek for that and to ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. We know that this is a theophany uh, or more specifically a Christophany which is an appearance of God or Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. We know that because he receives worship. Joshua falls on his face and worships him, and he doesn't say, get up. Whenever it's an angel, the angel will say, hey, don't worship me, worship God. But in this moment, he receives worship. And not only that, Joshua calls him my Lord. What does my Lord say to to his servant? And then also, there is a reaffirmation there in verse 15. The, Jesus says, yeah, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Maybe some of us have a sandal that we need to take off in the presence of the Lord tonight. And we need to cast it away and say, I, I, I need, I, I'm standing on holy ground. Maybe there's something that I need to get rid of and cast off tonight in the presence of my Lord. Maybe I need to realize that, hey, Jesus Christ is not a tame lion. He doesn't come as, you know, my pal, my buddy. He comes as the commander of the army of the Lord. And he is worthy to be worshipped and feared. The fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. It's a good thing in our lives. So as we wrap this up, I hope you can apply uh, several things to your life tonight. Number one, hey, have, have you allowed the Holy Spirit to to, to, to bring you to that place where you have identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection and you, you're presenting yourself to God, living that, so to speak, that circumcised life as a Christian. You've cut off the flesh, you've died to the self-life and you're alive to God. Or maybe that's a struggle right now for you. I know, I know that's something I constantly struggle with. The flesh, the flesh nature loves to rear its ugly head loves to try to get control again. Hey, tonight we need to realize the Holy Spirit, he's, he, he, he causes that, He effects that circumcision, that spiritual circumcision in our lives. So we need, to, we need to ask Him, Lord, help me. Help me. I need you to help me cut off the flesh, the life, the self-life again. Maybe here tonight you are, are just, you know, you you're not in that land flowing with milk and honey in, in the Word. You need to ask the Lord, God, bring me into that land. I need to be there. I need those blessings. I, I, and I want to look for them. Empower me. And, or maybe you're, you know, like we just talked about, you, you have a sandal on in the presence of the Lord. 
and, and you need to take it off and you just need to worship. You need to get on your face tonight and worship the Lord.